Good morning, church. If you will, please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. As we know, we've been working through the book of Matthew for a while now. Uh, Matt has covered many of the parables of Christ. But this morning we'll be looking uh, at a parable that is unique to the book of Luke. We'll be focusing on the parable commonly referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. I don't think that title is necessarily wrong, but I do think that we miss the main point if we put all the emphasis on the prodigal son. Naturally, people tend to insert themselves into the stories of Scripture. It's not always a healthy practice, but we oftentimes do it. We are tempted to put on the shoes of the hero or the most sympathetic character in the story. Or we relate to the character in the story who is not the one being rebuked and corrected. You know, in the Bible Belt, the prodigal son has become somewhat romanticized. I've heard many people living in debauchery refer to themselves as a prodigal son, as if it's endearing or cute. Almost everyone here today can probably relate to the prodigal son in some ways because of the sin we once walked and have since repented of and have been restored. But none of our members here today are living in the open lifestyle of sin the prodigal son walked in. Because if they were, they would be church disciplined and excommunicated if they did not repent. There are points and principles to draw from the character of the prodigal son, but the prodigal son is not the one being rebuked in this story. If you want to put shoes on this morning, put on the shoes of the ones who Jesus is confronting. We are told at the beginning of chapter 15 why this parable is given. Look with me at chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. The tax collectors and sinners, the outcasts of society, they were drawing near to Jesus. And in response, the Pharisees and scribes, who were supposed to be the spiritual leaders of Israel, grumbled and murmured against Jesus because he received tax collectors and sinners and ate with them. He was associating with the wrong kinds of people by their standards. Jesus, you're a rabbi, aren't you? You're one of us. Shouldn't you only associate with our kind of people? Why are you associating with lowly sinners? In response to the Pharisees and the scribes murmuring, Jesus tells them three stories, which are really one parable that should be taken all together. With the first two stories setting up Jesus' primary point in the third story. So let's briefly look at the first two parables. First we have the parable of the lost sheep, verses 3 through 7. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for 
I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. So a man with a hundred sheep, he loses one of them, one percent of his flock. He leaves the ninety-nine to go find that one lost sheep. As a good shepherd, he seeks out and finds the lost sheep, and places the helpless sheep over his shoulders. Rejoicing, he comes home and calls his friends and neighbors together and has a party because he has found his one lost sheep, one percent of his flock. Jesus says, like a man rejoices over finding one of his sheep, heaven rejoices more over one sinner who repents. He says there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And we know from Scripture, all men need to repent. There is none righteous, no, not one. The 99 righteous persons Jesus is referring to as the self-righteous, the one who think they have no need of repentance. And then we have the second parable in verse 8. Or what woman or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So what woman with ten coins... She loses one, 10% of her wealth, and she does all she can to find it. Like all of us should if we lose 10% of our wealth. She lights a lamp, she sweeps the house, she diligently seeks after the coin. And when she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors to rejoice with her. As much rejoicing is done over finding 10% of one's wealth, there is even greater joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. So these first two stories establish this general principle that when the loss is found, joyful celebration should ensue. When one sinner repents, heaven rejoices. This is the backdrop. This is the setup to this third story that Jesus tells. The Pharisees could probably get on board with the first two stories, right? Yeah, who could argue with those? You lose 1% of your flock, you rejoice when you find it. You lose 10% of your wealth, you rejoice when you find it. But Jesus makes it a little more personal in this third story. This third story has familial connections that serves to make the story all the more intimate and personal. Our three points this morning are the three characters found in the third story. We have the renegade son, the restoring father, and the resentful brother. So look with me, starting in verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. A hundred sheep, ten coins, two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided this property between them. So the younger son 
prematurely demands his father to give him his inheritance while his father is still alive. What's wrong with this picture? The father is still alive. Someone does not receive an inheritance until their father is dead. This disrespectful son is basically telling his father he wishes him to be dead. That he is of more use to the son dead than alive. This son had no concept of delayed gratification. To wait for his inheritance the proper way. Instead, he was willing to sacrifice his relationship with his father to gain his father's wealth. The title of this first point is the renegade son. The definition of a renegade is a person who deserts and betrays an organization, country, or set of principles. Someone who has treacherously changed allegiances. The younger son has betrayed his father. He wants out of the family. He wants to go far away from his family and immediately wants the share of the property that is coming to him. And you can almost imagine the Pharisees' ears perk up. This younger son is disrespecting his father, disregarding the laws concerning inheritance. And the Pharisees probably fully expect the father to punish and reprove the son. But that's not what we see happen. Jesus says the father divided his property between the sons. The older son, according to Mosaic law, would have received two-thirds of the estate. And the younger son would have received one-third of the estate. Now let's see what this renegade son is so eager to do with this newfound wealth. Look with me at verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. So the renegade son took his inheritance and went to a far country. He left the confines of his family and the restraints of his father. He doesn't just go over to the next town. No, he goes to a far country where he can be anonymous. He goes into the darkness where no one he knows can see him. So he can do all the things he has always wanted to do without restraints. He's got a fortune and he's going to live it up. In the history of Israel, when they are in a far country, it's usually because of judgment for their disobedience. If you are in a far country, that means you're in Egypt as slaves, in Assyria as slaves, in Babylon as slaves. The son thought he was going to a far country to find pleasure and happiness, but he ultimately finds himself broke, hungry, and enslaved in the pig fields. What our sinful flesh desires as pleasurable will leave us enslaved and ruined if acted upon. It took no time for this son to blow his inheritance. A fool who is driven by his desires and impulses can squander a fortune in a blink of an eye. People who are good stewards of the money God has given them are not driven by impulses, but they diligently manage, plan, and multiply the assets God has given them. 
Good stewards believe in delayed gratification and believe God rewards those who diligently seek Him. And notice, not only did this son just blow his inheritance, one-third of his father's estate, he blows it on reckless, immoral, wicked living. The man is everything that is wrong with sinners. He is vile. He is disrespectful. He is ungrateful. He is greedy. He is gluttonous. He is wasteful. He is a whoremonger. Any negative description, you can place it on this man. And that's the picture Jesus is painting. Jesus is purposefully painting a picture of a low-down, rotten sinner. These are the kinds of people that were drawing near to Jesus. Tax collectors and sinners. And when this son had blew all that he had, a famine came. Do you think that famine was random? A famine came and the son got desperate. He goes and hires himself out to a man who owns pig fields. And remember, this is a Jewish story. This Jewish son hired himself out to feed unclean, disgusting pigs. This renegade now finds himself in a far country, broke, ruined, and trying to survive by feeding unclean pigs. He was an heir in his good father's house, where he had no want. And now he's sold himself out in a strange land to a strange master and even longs to eat what the pigs eat. This is a picture of terrible desperation. And Jesus says, and no one gave him anything. I guarantee that this man had friends by his side while he was living foolishly and blowing his fortune. But now these friends won't even give this starving son something to eat. The wicked will desert you if you are no longer benefiting their sinful indulgences. There is no true fellowship among people apart from the union believers have with one another through Christ. Can anyone relate to this desperate point? The younger son finds himself where your sin brought you down to places you never thought you would be. The state the prodigal son finds himself is a picture of all sinners estranged from God, utterly helpless and in despair. This is a picture of our true spiritual state. What will this son do now that he has blown his inheritance? He's hungry. He's desperate. He is destitute. Look with me at verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The son comes to himself. He begins to think clearly and soberly. For someone to come to himself in such a sinful and dark state, it is truly the grace of God. Remember, there was a severe famine that made the situation all the more desperate. God orchestrates our downfall in order to break us, to humble us, and to draw us to Himself. He tears down to bind us up. Remember, repentance has to do with a change of mind. And His change of mind involves 
his trust in the kindness of his good father. When the son starts thinking clearly again, what is the first thing he thinks of? His good father and his father's house. He says, his father's servants have more than enough bread and he is out here perishing in hunger. He decides to return to his father and he practices, he rehearses this speech of repentance. That he has sinned against heaven and his father. He is not worthy to be called his father's son. But he will ask his father to graciously allow him to be a servant in his father's house. This is a sinner who has recognized his sin. Who is humbly returning to his father. Broken, I'm not even worthy to be a son. Let me be a servant. And can we guess what happens next? 1% of your flock is lost. You celebrate. 10% of your wealth is lost. You celebrate when you find it. When your flock is found, you celebrate. When your coins are found, you celebrate. 50% of your sons are lost. We know what comes next. And we see our second character. The restoring father. In verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. And put it on him. And put a ring on his hand. And shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So the son gets up and makes the long journey home. This is a walk. He, he has nothing to his name. He doesn't have a, a donkey. He has no means of transportation. He has a long walk home covered in pig poop and all. And while he was a long way off, his father saw him. How did he recognize his son from such a distance? A father knows his son. A shepherd knows his sheep. God knows his children. And instead of the condemnation the Pharisees and the scribes believe should be handed out to this younger son, the father felt compassion for him. He ran to him and hugged him and kissed him, covered in pig poop and all. The son starts to rehearse his speech. But before he can even get to the part about working as a hired servant, the father has already interrupted him and called to his servants to bring the best robe and to put it on him, to put a ring on his finger and put shoes on his feet. The best robe is reserved for the guest of honor. The ring is a sign of authority within the family. And the shoes were not usually worn by slaves. Signifying his full restoration to sonship. Not only this, but he commands for the fattened calf to be killed for a feast and celebration. As delicious as it is when Tommy Grissom blesses us with brisket, this was even better. The fattened calf was reserved for the most special occasion. A sacrifice or a great celebration of feasts. We see a dirty, rotten scoundrel who wished for his father's death 
And this dirty, rotten scoundrel was received back to his father's house. Not as a slave, but as a son in full restoration. And he is lavishly clothed with the best clothes and fed with the best feast. He was naked and hungry. And now he is royally robed and fully nourished. Here we see the heart of God. Isn't this a picture of the gospel? Wretched, filthy, unclean sinners deserving of death, being graciously led to and granted repentance, being stripped of their filthy rags and clothed with the righteousness of Christ, receiving sonship in the family of God. The Father clothing His Son and throwing a feast for Him is symbolic of the lavishness of God. His blessing upon us in salvation. And in verse 24, the father tells the cause of the celebration. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That is exactly the picture of conversion. Crossing over from death to life. A spiritual resurrection. The spiritually dead are made spiritually alive. Hopeless, dirty, broken, spiritually dead tax collectors and sinners have encountered the resurrection and the life. And through repentance and faith have been made alive together with Him. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to separate, celebrate. 1% of your flock is found, you celebrate. 10% of your wealth is found, you celebrate. 50% of your sons are found, you celebrate. And even more, there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. The renegade son is the tax collector's and sinners who were humbly repentant of their sin. The restoring father is the Christ figure in this story. The God figure. Remember, Christ and the father are one. All that the son receives, the father receives. So the renegade son is the tax collectors and sinners. We can say the, the father is Christ. It is God. But who are the Pharisees and scribes in this story? Remember why this story was told. The Pharisees and scribes grumbled because Jesus received tax collectors and sinners. And in response to their grumbling, he tells them this parable. So where are they? They aren't the prodigal. They aren't the father. They aren't the servants. Look with me at verse 25. Now, his older son was in the field. There he is. Our third and final character this morning, the resentful brother. Verse 25, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. So the older son has come in from the field and he hears the celebration going on and he asks the servant, what is going on? And the servant gives the wonderful news that his brother is back and that his father has slaughtered a fattened calf for a feast and has received his brother back safe and sound. So, the older brother 
heard the news of his brother's return and went into the party with his father and brother and rejoiced like the angels in heaven over one sinner who repented. Nah, not so much. Verse 28. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. The lost is found. And instead of rejoicing and joining the celebration, he was angry and refused to go in. Kind of sounds like the Pharisees and scribes grumbling against Jesus. The Pharisees and scribes were standing outside while Christ feasts with repentant sinners, just as the older brother remains outside in self-righteous anger. Both sons are invited and welcome to the party. But the older son is dishonoring his father by refusing to come into his father's joyful feast. As with the younger son, the father graciously takes initiative in restoring the relationship with his older son and comes out and entreats him to come in. Both sons have dishonored their father. One in demanding an early inheritance and blowing it in sinful living and the other in self-righteous anger that will not rejoice in his father's celebration. The older brother's self-righteous behavior was more socially acceptable than the sin of the prodigal son in his reckless living, but equally dishonoring to the father and has the same need for repentance. Next, we see deeper into the older brother's heart towards his father and towards his brother. In verse 29, But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. All these years I have served you. I've been good. I've kept the rules. I've worked hard. I've never disobeyed. I've been faithful. And you've never given me a measly goat that I can celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice, he doesn't refer to him as his brother. This is your son. This, he calls him his father's son. This son of yours has wasted your wealth on prostitutes. When he returned, you killed a fatted calf for him. That's not fair. I've been the good son. The grace the father has shown to the younger son has infuriated the older brother. The self-righteous hate grace. We see a sharp contrast here between the father who has extended grace and mercy and the older brother who is bitter and resentful for the grace and mercy that the father has shown. And it's all about the older brother, isn't it? It wasn't enough for him to be with his father all these years, to be in fellowship with his father and serve in his father's house. He viewed his relationship with his father as meritorious, that he should be celebrated for his service. The older brother is grossly self-entitled. I've served, I've never disobeyed, and you have never given me a party for me and my friends. You've thrown this lavish party for my good-for-nothing, whoremongering brother. What about me? Notice, he says he never disobeyed his father's command. Well, 
We probably have a guess whether that's true or not. And when he makes that statement, he is literally disobeying and dishonoring his father. Religious hypocrites will not acknowledge their sin and repent. They might give lip service to the fact that they aren't perfect, but they always seem to have justification for their actions, for what they do. I've noticed when the self-righteous are confronted in their sin, instead of admitting their sin and repenting, they justify their sin away, saying that, oh, they're just misunderstood or they really had good intentions. The self-righteous rarely find fault in themselves. This older son is not heeding his father's invitation. And he justifies his actions by pointing to what he sees as faults in his brother and in his father. And Jesus tells this parable to show the Pharisees what kind of people they are. Oh, you think the tax collectors and the sinners are bad? Well, let me show you what kind of people you are. The tax collectors and sinners are low down and rotten. But guess what? They are humble and repentant, and I receive them as sons, and I will clothe them in the finest robes. I will put rings on their fingers and shoes on their feet. I will kill the fattened calf for them, and we will feast in celebration. And there is celebration in heaven when a sinner repents. Guess what else, Pharisees and scribes? You're welcome also. Join the celebration. But you need repentance just like the tax collectors and sinners. You're in the same boat. And the older brother, he's rebuked his father. But much like with the younger son, we do not see the father severing the relationship. The invitation is still open. Verse 31. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. We see an affectionate appeal by the father. After the great disrespect shown by the older son, the father still still addresses him as son. Showing that he loves him and he is still inviting him to the celebration. Son, you are always with me. Isn't that enough? All that is mine is yours. The attitude of the older son has caused him to lose sight of the relationship he does have with his father. You're jealous of your brother and the gifts I give him, but all of these are yours too. All that is mine is yours. We aren't in competition with one another for the grace of God. It's not a zero-sum game with God. The blessing God gives some people should not be a threat to you. The Pharisees and scribes had access to all the riches uh, of God, to the riches of Scripture. They spent their life studying Scripture and teaching the law, but they never truly possess any of the treasure because of their self-righteous hearts. And this treasure that they should be in possession of was being offered to and enjoyed by repentant sinners. And the Father's words in verse 32 ends the story with the same theme that we saw in the previous two stories. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. 
The older brother takes no joy in his brother being raised from the dead, for the lost being found. The Pharisees and scribes could not rejoice in the goodness of the gospel, because they were so lost and dead in the depths of their own self-righteous, self-entitled sin. God takes great joy in saving the lost. And that elicits resentment from the Pharisees and scribes, the religious leaders of Israel. The heart of Israel was far from God and was led astray by the bitter religion of the Pharisees. They took no joy in mercy being extended to tax collectors, to sinners, to the unclean, to Gentiles, to the outcasts. God should only bless us the stringent law keepers who never disobey the commandments. And that whole time, they were dishonoring their father in their filthy, self-righteous rags. And throughout you know, these three characters, there are many practical takeaways. Right? We see the open rebellion and betrayal from the renegade son, the prodigal son. We see an ungrateful, disrespectful, wicked, wasteful heart that leads him to ruin. Nowhere in this story is the prodigal son's sin accepted. And the result of his sin is on full display. But in the end, the renegade son comes to himself, repents, and is saved. In contrast... The resentful brother did not live in open rebellion against his father, but harbored it secretly in his heart all these years. The older brother's heart was just as ruined as his younger brother. One looked to the world for pleasure, and the other looked to his own self-righteousness for pleasure. One ends the story with a humble and contrite heart. The other ends the story with prideful and a bitter heart. This story is personal. It has family ties we can all relate to. Within our families, with our children, we, we should all be praying for the conversion of our children. We should pray that they never rebel against their parents and live in this open rebellious sin like the prodigal did. But just as much as we should pray against that, I believe even more in our context, we should pray that they do not Uh, grow up to be self-righteous vipers who need no repentance. What do you think is a greater danger to the children of Maynardville Fellowship? The sin of the prodigal son or the sin of the older brother? And if anyone here today is living in the sin of the prodigal son, that means you're a visitor. We don't allow open rebellion in our membership. If that is you this morning, repent of your sin and come to Christ for full forgiveness and reconciliation. We see the heart of God in this story in receiving repentant sinners. And that should lead us all to worship. The holy, perfect God of all creation takes joy and pleasure in saving wretched sinners. What grace and kindness has been shown to us by our God. And we should image our God by extending grace and mercy. And rejoicing when his sheep, when his sons are found. They were dead, but now alive. Rejoice with all of heaven when sinners repent. Have the joy of the Father, not the bitterness of the older son. The attitude of our heart towards sinners who receive grace is a barometer of whether we have received grace ourselves. Whether it's someone new out in the world who has come in 
from a rough lifestyle and they seek repentance. Or it's a church member who has been here for many years seeking forgiveness and reconciliation. We are a people who have been given mercy and we freely extend mercy. We must rejoice over true repentance. And in our context, the immediate danger for the majority of us is not the sin of the prodigal son, but the sin of the older brother. In certain times of our lives, I'm sure we could probably say that we were more susceptible to the sin of the prodigal son. But in our context, as current members in a covenant community, we would be wise to all search our hearts for the sin of the older brother. We don't allow for open rebellion in our fellowship. But the sin of the older brother was easier to hide than the sin of the prodigal son. It is easy to recognize the sin out in the world with someone living in open, rampant sin. But it's much harder to recognize the concealed sin of the heart uh, in the older brother who is sitting in church harboring this bitterness in his heart. This kind of sin can harbor in a vast number of ways. And we must all be on guard to recognize and kill the sin when it tries to arise. How can this sin harbor and manifest in our context? How might it show itself? Well, do you have a critical spirit towards others? Is everything you do right and good, but no one else can really hit the mark? That everything you do is done from a pure heart, but you judge the motives of others as selfish or mixed with sin? Do you associate with the lowly? The ones who you think cannot mutually benefit you, that you can't receive as much back from them? Do you think you are too good to spend time with people you would consider on the fringes of our church today? Or can you rejoice in the blessings of others? Do you get angry or bitter when someone gets attention when you don't? Maybe... You've been a member longer than another guy, and he gets more opportunities to lead than you do. Does that bother you? You've been a faithful member all these years, yet this newer member is asked to preach and and lead more than you. Do you ever think, that's not fair? Or what if someone gets invited over to, to someone's house for dinner, and you feel like you never get invited? What spirit in you rises up? Are you resentful that someone else got invited and you didn't? Or maybe you have one specific thing that you have always prayed for and God never gives it to you. You see other people receiving this thing from God, but not you. How does your heart react to that? Can you rejoice in the blessings of others? If you cannot have children and you see other members of the church having children, can you rejoice with them? Or does... Bitterness and resentment slip in. Or you see dirty, rotten sinners out in the world having children who don't even want children. Do you become bitter towards God and say, that's not fair? Or if you're a man struggling to, pro- to provide for your household, you think you're a hard-working man, you're faithful, you're diligent, you do all that you should, but you see other men who you consider to be unwise and slothful. Yet they have a comfortable job and are easily providing for their families. Do you question God and His faithfulness towards you? And wonder why He seems to be blessing these other men and not you? Maybe there's a tragedy in your family. An accident occurs. Or someone gets sick. Or even a death in the family. And you think, 
Why did this happen to me? I've been good. I've been faithful. Why on earth did God let this happen to me? And my question would be, why not you? Who are you that God owes you nothing but health and prosperity? Why should you avoid suffering? God's only begotten Son, the most righteous person to ever walk the planet, suffered the worst hand ever dealt. If we are God's people, and we have the right view of God in the midst of suffering, we know it is for our good to conform us more into the likeness of Christ, and it is to the glory of God. When we view it like that, we can come to no other conclusion than to count the tragedy as a blessing. But if we fail to view it in that way, we will be driven deeper into bitterness and despair. The sin of the older brother can sometimes be subtle and hidden from one another. Such a heart might never manifest itself publicly. You might be very good at hiding it from people and even deceiving yourself in your own self-righteousness. You might be able to hide it from us. You might be able to deceive yourselves. But you will never fool God. Do you see your need for the gospel? Do you see your sin and despair? In the story, the older brother doesn't see his need for the gospel. Instead of recognizing his wicked heart and running to his father, the older brother runs deeper into his own bitter self-righteousness. Instead of clinging to his perfect father, the older brother clings to his pathetic, insufficient works. Instead of giving honor and glory to his father, the older brother worships And glorifies himself for his own obedience, making himself an idol. In this parable, it leaves somewhat open-ended, right? We see, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And that's where it ends. The older brother is angry, yet the father still has an invitation for his son to join him. Do you think the older son took the father up on his offer? Do you think he eventually went in and rejoiced with his father and brother? Well, we know how this story truly ends. If in this story the tax collectors and sinners are the prodigal son, Jesus is receiving tax collectors and sinners. So, Jesus, God, they are the father figure. And the Pharisees and the scribes are the older brother who despise the repentance of sinners and the mercy of of the Father, of Jesus. How do the Pharisees and scribes respond to Jesus' invitation? They drive deeper into bitterness and hatred. And a short time later, they conspire and have Jesus murdered. The Father bids His oldest son to come join the joyful celebration, and His oldest son murders Him. They crucify the same God they claim to be serving. And that's what self-righteousness does. It serves yourself and you find yourself at odds with God. The Pharisees and scribes, the older brother, they were judged for their rebellion. As spiritual leaders of Israel, the guilt was on them and their children for crucifying the Lord of glory. And the nation of Israel was judged for this crime. Judgment came about 40 years later in 70 AD. And the temple and their religion were abolished. And they were cut off 
They were cut off from their father's invitation and were cast outside, far away from the celebration, to a place where there is only darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. But the one whom the older brother killed, he died a sacrificial death on the cross for his people. And his blood can wash away the sin of those who have sinned and the reckless likeness of the prodigal. And his blood can wash away the sin of those who have sinned in the bitter self-righteousness of the older brother. There is joy before the angels of God when one sinner repents. If you find your heart at odds with God today, repent, run to Him, and find full restoration as His Son. Let's pray. God, we come to You this morning. We run. We confess our sin, our brokenness, our ruin before you, God. You are righteous, holy, and perfect, and we have nothing to offer but filthy rags. You have shown kindness and mercy towards us, God, in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that we extend that kindness and mercy to others, that we will forgive, that we will take joy in the blessings of of others and the repentance of others. God, we pray that you expose our hearts to ourselves right now, God. That you work in us to bring glory to your name and for the edification of your people. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.